What do you picture when you picture an angel? Several years ago, there was a question in an answer column in a paper, and it was called the Bible Guy. And one of the questions was, why do angels have masculine names like Michael, Lucifer, and Gabriel? And it was signed, Sharon McKenzie, feminist. Well, the Bible guy wrote back, Dear Sharon, in the beginning there was a trade-off. Angels got men's names and hurricanes got women's names. Joan Anderson believes in angels. She's written several books about angels. One of the books she's written is entitled, Where Angels Walk. And in that book, she shares one of her very first encounters with what she believes is an angel. And this is what she said. Let me read to you from her book. She said, it was just past midnight on December the 24th, 1983. The Midwest was shivering through a record-breaking cold spell, complete with gale-force winds and frozen water pipes. And although our suburban Chicago household was filled with the snug sounds of a family at rest, I couldn't be a part of them. Not until our 21-year-old son pulled into the driveway. At that moment, Tim and his two roommates were driving home for Christmas, their first trip back since they had moved east last May. Don't worry, Mom, Tim had reassured me over the phone last night. We're going to leave before dawn tomorrow and drive straight through. We'll be fine. Kids, they do insane things. Under normal circumstances, I figured a Connecticut to Illinois trek ought to take about 18 hours. But the weather had turned so dangerously cold that radio reports warned against venturing outdoors even for a few moments. And we had heard nothing from the travelers. Distressed, I pictured them on a desolate road. What if they ran into car problems or lost their way? And if they had been delayed, why hadn't Tim phoned? Restlessly, I paced and prayed in the familiar shorthand all mothers know. God, send someone to help them. By now... As I later learned, the trio had stopped briefly in Fort Wayne, Indiana to deposit Don at his family home. Common sense suggested that Tim and Jim stay the rest of the night and resume their trek in the morning. But when does common sense prevail with invincible young adults? The two had started out again. They had been traveling for only a few miles on a rural access road to the Indiana Tollway when they noticed the car's engine seemed sluggish. Tim glanced uneasily at Jim. Do not, the radio announcer intoned. Repeat, do not venture outside tonight, friends. There's record wind chill of 80 below zero, which means that exposed sin, um, skin, not sin, exposed skin, well, exposed sin may freeze too, but ex exposed skin will freeze in less than a minute. The car surged suddenly, then coughed and slowed again. Tim, Jim spoke until the darkness. We're not going to stall here, are we? We can't, Tim answered grimly as he pumped the accelerator. We'd die for sure. But instead of picking up speed, the engine sputtered, chugging and slowing again. About a mile later, at the top of a small incline, the car crawled to a frozen stop. Horrified, Tim and Jim looked at each other. They could see across the fields in every direction, but, but there was no traffic, no, no refuge ahead, not even a farmhouse light blinking in the distance. 
and the appalling, unbelievable cold. Never had they experienced anything so intense. Even if shelter was only a short distance away, they couldn't survive. The temperature would kill them in a matter of minutes. Well, God, Tim prayed, echoing my own distant plea, you're the only one who can help us now. Then, as if they had already slipped into a dream, they saw headlights flashing at the car's left rear. But that was impossible for they had seen no twin pinpricks of light in the distance, no hopeful approach. Where had the vehicle come from? Had, had they already died? But no. Miraculously, someone was knocking on the driver's side window. Need to be pulled? In disbelief, they heard the muffled shout, but it was true. Their rescuer was driving a tow truck. Could he bring them back to Don's? He did, saying nothing, not asking for directions, finally maneuvering around the cul-de-sac and parking in front of the house. Tim and Jim raced to the side door where Don was waiting. The tow truck, Don, Tim began, I have to pay. I need to borrow. Wait a minute, Don frowned, looking past his friends through the window. I don't see any tow truck out there. Tim and Jim turned around. There, parked alone at the curb, was Tim's car. There had been no sound in the crystal clear night of its release from the chains. No door slam, no chug of an engine pulling away. There had been no bill for Tim to pay, no receipt to sign, no farewell or thank you or Merry Christmas. Stunned, Tim raced back down the driveway to the curb. But there were no taillights disappearing in the distance, no engine noise echoing through the silent streets, nothing at all to mark the the tow truck's presence. Then Tim saw the tire trucks in the windblown snowdrifts. But there was only one set of tracks marking the cul-de-sac, and they belonged to Tim's car. Was it an angel? Mrs. Anderson thinks so. My first encounter with angels, at least that I can remember, occurred in the late 1980s. I was pastoring a church in the upstate of South Carolina, and and God was doing some incredible things, some things that were beyond my understanding. We were seeing people delivered miraculously from from drug addiction, from from, uh, demonic oppression, demonic possession, and Satan worship. And one night, we had this young man come into our house that we were going to minister to and, and talk to. He, he was a man who had been involved in Satan worship. And we talked to him, we, we ministered to him, we shared the gospel with him, we prayed with him, and, and then he left. Later that evening, when, when Sherry and I went to bed, there was this overwhelming sense of fear that came upon both of us at the same time. I turned to my wife and and I said, Honey, are are you afraid? And she said, I am scared to death. And I said, I am too. And so I said, let's pray. And we began to pray. And nothing happened. And I said, let's get on our knees. And we got on our knees beside our bed and we continued to pray and and. We had never encountered anything like this. We had never experienced anything like this. And, and I began to rebuke Satan. I began to, to cover our home with the blood of Jesus. I, I didn't know what else to do. But here's what I know. In a moment, in an instant, I mean immediately it seemed, 
a sense of peace came upon both of us. And I was busy praying. But when that sense of peace came upon us, my wife said, do you see it? And I said, see what? And she said, there are two angels outside our door. Now, I did not see them. But I trust my wife. She's not crazy. She's not medicated, though some may think she needs to be since she's married to me. But what I do know is I sense the presence of God and the peace of God unlike I had ever experienced it before. As my wife said, there are two angels standing outside our door. In the late 1980s, Frank Peretti, a a Christian author, wrote two books, This Present Darkness and and Piercing the Darkness. And, And these books were about spiritual warfare. They were about the unseen realm, the spirit world, a world that that we cannot see, that we cannot touch with our hands. We cannot see with our eyes, but, but we can sense in our lives and certainly we can experience what happens because of what is going on in that realm. Both of those books became bestsellers. Now, those were fictional books, but I want you to know that I believe even though those books are fictional, they are based upon something that is factual, and that is a spiritual realm that you and I cannot see. So in light of the fact that there is a spirit realm, and in light of the fact that that I believe there is a fascination in our world today with angels, I want us to take a few minutes to, to look at what God's Word says about angels. Now, the first thing I want us to see is the reality of angels. Are angels real? And the answer is yes. Unfortunately, there is a lot of confusion when it comes to angels. And much of what people believe is not anywhere close to what the Bible teaches. Some have the idea that angels are people who have died. Much like Clarence. If you've watched this A Wonderful Life, Clarence was a man who... Who died and he was now trying to gain his wings by being a good angel. Now, now we oftentimes hear this when a child dies. We, we hear people say things like this. I guess God needed another angel up in heaven. But I want you to know that angels are not people who have died. There are other people who picture angels as, as these chubby, effeminate looking winged creatures that flutter around primarily at Valentine's, and they shoot their arrows into people, and all of a sudden, we fall into love. And many people today believe, obviously, that angels are feminine, because every time we have a church Christmas play, our stage is filled with women who are playing the part of angels. Islamic scholars believe that every person is assigned two angels. One of those angels record our good deeds, and the other angel records our bad deeds. Now, what I want you to know is all of those beliefs are incorrect. Now, here are the facts. Angels are mentioned over 300 times 
in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first reference is found in Genesis 16 where an angel appeared to Hagar there in the wilderness. The last reference to an angel is in Revelation 22 where Jesus sent his angel out with the message of Revelation to the churches. Now we're told in God's word that angels are created beings. That's important for us to remember. Angels are created beings. Psalms 148 verses 2 and 5 say this. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. God created the angels. In Colossians chapter 1, we read, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, by God, and for him, for God. Now, because angels are created beings, we don't worship them. You see, there are some people today that that worship angels. And the Bible makes it clear that we shouldn't worship angels. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that it is very dangerous to worship angels. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 18, it says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. And so the Bible warns us against worshiping angels or listening to those who say that this is a good thing. And we don't pray to angels. You see, the Bible teaches that we worship God and we pray to God. Now, unlike man, which is both body and spirit, angels are spirit beings. You see, the Bible tells us that there is a spirit realm that we cannot see, we cannot touch, and they are all around us. As a matter of fact, I would dare say, I believe with all my heart, that there are angels in our midst today as we have gathered here to worship the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there are times that angels can take on human form for a purpose. Uh, and, but such appearances, when, when angels do take on human form, are the exception rather than the rule. Like, for instance, the, the story that I read earlier from Joan Anderson's book, or Billy Graham, in his book entitled Angels, tells the story about S.W. Mitchell. He was a, a well-known urologist. And one night he was awakened from his sleep in Philadelphia, and there was a little girl poorly dressed, very upset at at his door. And, And she said that her mother was very sick. Could he come and help her immediately? And, and so he got on his clothes. He followed the girl to the woman's house. He went inside. He took care of her. He provided the medical care she needed. She, he, she called, he called the hospital so that she could be admitted. And then after he took care of her, he complimented her for her daughter how intelligent she was and and how wise she was at such a young age. And and the woman said, my daughter, what are you talking about? And Dr. Mitchell said, well, the the girl who came to my door to tell me that you needed help, and she said, "I, I don't have a daughter. My daughter died one year ago. 
And then she said, as a matter of fact, the clothes that she was wearing when she died are in the closet. And the doctor went and opened up the closet door, and there was a red coat that that was just like the coat that the person who appeared to him was wearing. And it was warm, and it was dry. It was obvious that that was not the coat. Now, some people would say, well, that tells us that, that angels are human beings who have died. No, that doesn't tell us anything. All that tells us is that God allows angels to take on human form at times to minister to us and provide for us like we need ministered to. So let me say again, angels aren't ghosts of people who have died. When we die, we don't become angels. So angels are created beings. Second, angels are eternal beings. Jesus said this. He said, and they, the saved, can no longer die for they are like the angels. You see, angels don't grow old, they don't get sick, they never die. Now, you and I as human beings, we die. We experience the first death. This body that we are living in today, it is corrupted, it decays, it gets sick, it grows old. And eventually, apart from Jesus coming first, each and every one of us will die. But remember, angels are spirit beings. They do not have a physical body like we have. So they don't grow old. They don't turn gray. Their hair doesn't fall out. They don't get wrinkles. None of that happens to angels. They live forever. And the Bible says one day you and I will be like the angels. Even though our bodies grow old today, one day we will have a new body that never grows old again. And angels are powerful beings. In Isaiah 37, verse 36, it says this. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. Get that. One angel destroyed 185,000 trained warriors. And so here we see the reality of angels. Angels are created spirit beings who live forever. They're eternal beings who are very powerful. Now we see the responsibility of angels. What is it that angels are to do? And I can define that with one phrase. Angels are to carry out God's will. That's what they're to do. Angels are to carry out God's will. By the way, that's what you and I should be doing as well, amen? I mean, just as the angels carry out God's will, our prime directive, our prime responsibility is to carry out the Heavenly Father's will. In Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21, we read this. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. You say, what does an angel do? An angel does whatever the Father tells them to do. An angel does anything that the Father tells them, directs them, gives them a command to do. John Calvin said it this way. He said, angels are the dispensers and the administrators of the divine um, beneficence toward us. They regard our safety, undertake our defense, direct our ways, and exercise a constant solitude that no evil befall us. 
Now, biblically, there are two primary responsibilities that we see that angels are given. First of all, they act as God's messengers. In Psalm 104, it says, The angels are his messengers, his servants of fire. The word angel in both the Hebrew language and the Greek main, um, language literally means messenger. Now, there are times in Scripture when God sends angels to deliver a message to his people. Sometimes the message is a message of judgment. Do you remember when two angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah to warn Lot? Do you remember that? What were they going to deliver? They were going to deliver a message of judgment. Lot, get out of Sodom because God is about to destroy this wicked city. And so there are times that the angels of God, God's messengers, deliver a message of judgment. But understand, God's desire from the beginning of human history is not judgment. God's desire is redemption. And that's the message that was given on that first Christmas morning. Do you remember that? We remember that, that the message given to the shepherds were, was, Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great news, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see, God's message that he primarily wants to give to us through his messengers, the angels, is not a message of judgment, but it's a message of redemption. There is a Savior who loves us. There is a Savior who will forgive us. There is a Savior who has a plan for our life that is much better than any plan that we could ever come up with on our own. And so we see that the angels are God's messengers. But secondly, we see that biblically angels are God's ministers. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? Now don't miss that. Angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who what? Who inherit salvation. Angels are sent to minister to believers. In Matthew chapter 18 verse 10, Jesus is speaking and he says this. He says, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Sometimes people will ask the question, do you believe that there are guardian angels? And I would answer, absolutely, I believe that. I believe that, that we have guardian angels, angels that are there to watch over to us, angels that are there to care for us, angels that are there to minister to us. Now, what do they do? How do they minister to us? Sometimes angels provide for us. An example is 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah has just finished an, an incredible battle. He had called out 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel. And he had challenged them to a spiritual duel. And the God that shows up is the true God. And Elijah's God, the one true God, is the God that showed up. And then Elijah and the rest of the true prophets 
killed all of the false prophets, 850. Now, here was a man that God used to do an absolute miracle that day. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, the wicked queen Jezebel said, Before the day is over, Elijah, (laughs) you're going to be dead. And even though Elijah had just faced and defeated 850 false prophets, he was scared to death of wicked Jezebel. So he took off running, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he hid himself in the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, he was at his end, both spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. He was at his end. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, God sent an angel to minister to Elijah. And we read this. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. Here was this angel that God sent to Elijah to bake him some bread, to provide him some water, and then allow him to rest again. Do you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness for those 40 days fighting Satan? Do you remember that as he began his ministry? You see, some people think that, that the battle with Satan was just a series of three questions, but, but the Gospels make it clear that Jesus was battling Satan for 40 days. And the Bible says that at the end of that battle, where Jesus began his earthly ministry, God sent angels to minister to Jesus. So angels provide for God's people, and then angels protect God's people. In Proverbs 91, it says, For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. Do you remember how God sent angels to shut the mouth of the lions in the book of Daniel? Daniel was thrown in the lion's den because he would not um, cease praying to the one true God. And he was thrown into that lion's den and the angels came and clothed the mouth of the lions. I mean, can't you just, don't you wish you could see that in the spiritual realm? Here are those lions, those hungry lions ready to eat. Daniel was thrown in that pit and all of a sudden the angels come and they clamp their mighty hands around the mouths of those hungry lions. And those lions going, I'm hungry, but I can't open my mouth. God provided protection for Daniel. We see God doing that with Peter. Do you remember how Peter was in prison in the book of Acts? The Bible says the next day they were going to put him to death. And the angel came, opened up the, the um, gates to the prison ushered Peter out to safety. You see, our angels protect us. God has placed a a divine protection around us. His his angelic host, his, his angelic army. You see, the Bible says that the thief, Satan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what Satan wants to do to your life. He wants to kill you and steal all your joy and destroy your effectiveness. But God has placed a heavenly host around you to protect you. The Bible tells us that Satan is shooting fiery arrows at us. 
Now, I believe that most times we never even know that those fiery arrows are being shot because the angels are there to deflect them. Occasionally, the arrows come through, don't they? When those angels' arrows come through, we think, what is God doing? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? When in reality, we don't realize that if it were not for God's divine protection, those arrows would be coming every moment of every day, attacking us, stealing stealing our joy, destroying our effectiveness for the kingdom of God. And so we're in this spiritual battle, and, and God has placed angels around us. Billy Graham, in his book on angels, also tells the story of John Patton, who was a missionary to a native tribe. And, and one evening, the native tribe came and surrounded um, their hut where they were living, and they were intent on, on killing um, Dr. Patton and his wife, who had literally given their lives to, to reach this tribe for Jesus. And Dr. Patton and his wife just prayed through the night. The next morning as they, they, they looked outside, they were overwhelmed to see that, that the, the um, natives were gone. They weren't there anymore. Several years later, the chief of that village had come to know Christ, become a believer. And John Patton was talking to him one day and, uh, about that evening when, when they were surrounded. And he asked him, why, why didn't y'all attack? Why didn't y'all kill us? And, and the chief of the village said, well, because you had an entire army surrounding your hut. And John Patton said, it, it was only my wife and I. What are you talking about? And, and the chief of the village said, oh, no, there was an entire army surrounding your hut. We couldn't have attacked you if we tried our hardest. Dear friends, listen, I believe that we are in a spiritual battle and God's angels protect us. Billy Graham said this, and I I think it's a, a good word. Let me see if I can find it here somewhere in my notes. Billy Graham says, the host of heaven stand at attention as we make our way from earth to glory. And Satan's BB guns are no match for God's heavy artillery. So don't be afraid God is with us. Amen? So God's angels, they, they give us messages. messages. They, they minister to us by providing for us, by protecting us. And then sometimes they direct us. In Genesis 24, verse 40, one translation says, The Lord said, He will send His angel with thee and will direct thee. When Philip was ministering in in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says that an angel appeared to Philip and led him to the desert road. And there he met an Ethiopian that he led to Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean? There are times that God uses spiritual beings, angels, to come into our life to direct us to what we need to do next, where we need to go next. Now, does that mean we pray for them for guidance? Absolutely not. We've already seen that we don't pray for angels. It's just simply saying that there are times that God's angels intervene in our life to direct us. So the reality, angels are created spirit beings who are eternal, who are powerful, 
And they carry out God's will primarily through um, giving messages to us and through ministering to us by providing, by protecting, and, and by directing. And so in light of that, in light of the reality of angels and the responsibility of angels, what should our response be to angels? I mean, since there is a spirit world out there that, that you and I cannot see, what should our response be to the spirit world? First of all, we need to open our eyes. We need to realize that there is a spirit world that we cannot see. In 2 Kings, there is a story of, of Elisha and his servant. And they're surrounded by the Aramean army. And I mean, there are, there are thousands upon thousands of soldiers. And as Elisha is there, Elisha is calm. He is as cool as a cucumber. And Elisha's servant is scared to death. And Elisha's servant doesn't understand how Elisha can be so calm. And the reason is because God has given Elisha the spiritual eyes to see what is going on around. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, it says this. Elisha speaking to his servant. And he says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, Elisha was able to see into a realm that the human eye could not see into. Oh, dear friend, listen to me. We need to be aware today that there is a battle raging around us that we cannot see. It says in God's Word, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Understand, hear my heart. Our battle is not against the pornographer. Our battle is not against the smut peddler. Our battle is not against the abortionist. Our battle is not against the person who is trying to to, to carry out the homosexual agenda or whatever else we may choose to battle against. That's not our battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness in heavenly places. We're battling against evil powers, demonic forces, and God is battling those forces with angelic powers. And so in light of the fact that there is a spiritual battle raging all around us and God has provided angels to protect us and provide for us, what should we do? I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to pray. Amen? I mean, since there is a, a spiritual realm that we cannot see and, and our battle is not against what we see, what do we need to do? We need to pray. So open your eyes. Recognize that we're not fighting against mankind. We're fighting against satanic forces. And it is a spiritual battle that is being raised. Second, we need to open our hearts. In Hebrews 13 verse 2, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. In verse 1 it says, Keep on loving one another. 
In other words, what what Hebrews is saying is this. When we reach out to the hurting, to the homeless, to the helpless, to the hopeless. We need to always remember that we could be ministering to an angel. That's why we never judge someone based upon their appearance. That's why we never look down upon someone based upon their socioeconomic level. That is why we need to have a giving heart, a gracious heart as we see people in need. That's why we provided Thanksgiving baskets to over 100 homes. Because we should not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, people we don't know. That's why we operate Mission Columbia. And when people come in, people we don't know, we, we provide them with food. At times we provide them with shelter. At times we help them with bills. Why? Because when we are entertaining, helping people we don't know, we may be helping angels. That's why when we, we see people who are in need, instead of judging them and criticizing them and and making statements about them, there are times that we need to open up our hearts and open up our hands and, and even open up our wallets and, and reach out and help them. And so in light of the fact that we need to open up our hearts, what do we need to do? Just like when we open up our eyes, we need to pray more. When we open up our hearts, we need to get to the point where we minister generously. We need to minister to people generously. And let me tell you, when you and I as God's people begin to minister generously to people in need, God will do something incredible in our lives. So we open up our our eyes, we open up our hearts, and then finally we open up our mouths. In Luke 15, verse 10, it says, In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. That means every time a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, because of the ministries at Northside, there's rejoicing in heaven. There's a holy hallelujah party in heaven. Now, what does it look like? I don't know. But I got to tell you, in light of the book of Revelation and in light of what it tells us there's going to be in in the end days as we're worshiping around the throne, I got to tell you, I think it's a pretty happening place when someone comes to faith in Jesus in heaven. You see, the Bible says that. When you and I share our faith and, and the Holy Spirit partners with us to reach people with the good news of Jesus, it causes the angels in heaven to rejoice. So in light of that, what should we do? We should share faithfully. We should share faithfully. You see, in light of the reality of angels... And what angels do around us and in us and through us. We should pray diligently. Because there's a spiritual battle raging. We should minister generously to those that God places in our sphere of influence. Who we are able to minister to. And we should share the gospel faithfully. Because whenever we do, and and God uses us to bring someone to Jesus, there is a party in heaven over that one sinner who repents. Are angels real? Oh, you better believe they're real. 
Do they look like Clarence? No. Can they take on the appearance of Clarence? Well, if it's going to accomplish the purpose of God, yes, they can. But angels aren't people who have died who are trying to earn their rings. Angels are created by God with a divine purpose to carry out God's will. To to give messages to us. To minister to us. And even at times to partner with us as they direct us to carry out God's plan for our lives. Now, as we come to this time of commitment, there are two things that I specifically want to ask you. In light of that message on that first Christmas morning, when the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, a Savior, one who saves He saves us from our sins. In light of the message of Christmas, and in light of the message of the gospel, that a Savior has come who will forgive you of all sin. If you're here today, and you've never turned from sin, and received the forgiveness that only Jesus can give, I want to encourage you today to give Jesus your life. Turn from your sin. And let him through a power, through the power of his Holy Spirit, change you. Make you into a brand new person. Because understand, just as angels are real and there is a spiritual realm that we can't see. When we give our life to Jesus, something spiritual happens within us. God transforms us. God changes us. God makes us into a new person and and all of a sudden, things that we, we didn't really care about, we start caring about. And, and we discover that things that we never wanted to do, we want to do. And we discover that, that in the past, we, we never had a concern for pleasing God. Now, more than anything else, we want to please God. How did that happen? It's, it's because God transformed us when we opened up our heart and our life to Jesus. And so, if you're here... And, You've never repented of your sins and trusted Jesus to save you. Before we go any further, I want to take a moment to invite you to do that. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Bow your head, close your eyes. And if you're here and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, you've never trusted him to be your savior, you've never surrendered your life to him so that he can be your Lord, then today I want you to humble yourself to him And ask him to save you. You can pray this prayer right now if you really mean it with all your heart. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior. I know that I will never be good enough on my own to get to heaven. Right now, God, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking Jesus to save me. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the grave so that I can have eternal life. Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Make me a brand new person. Save me today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, if 
If you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer just then for the very first time, would you just raise your hand right now so we can rejoice with you? If anyone here who prayed that prayer. Okay, thank you. Thank you. See your hand back there. Now I want to lead you in another prayer. Because you see, I believe there are many of us today that what we need to commit to do is pray more. We need to commit to minister generously. We need to commit to share our faith faithfully. And in light of the fact that there are angels all around us, I I don't know which of those or whether it may be all of those you need to commit to this morning. But I want you to think for just a moment. In light of the spiritual realm that is all around us, what do I need to do as a Christ follower? Do I need to commit today to pray more? Do I need to commit to minister more generously with people who are in need? Or do I need to commit to share my faith faithfully with those I come in contact with? Think about that. And then whatever it is that God places on your heart, make that commitment to him right now. Dear God, All across this room, you're hearing our prayers. As we commit to be more bold in our prayers, more generous in our ministry, more faithful in our testimony. Lord, I pray that it won't just be words that we utter in a prayer, but Lord, I just pray that it will be commitments that we make before the throne of God. Because, Lord, I know that if we pray boldly, we minister generously, we share faithfully, you will use us in incredible ways. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.